Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week. All first-time buyer purchases up to £300,000. I am abolishing stamp duty altogether. Cheers from the Tories. But will Hammond's plans do more harm than good? Economic growth has been revised down. Productivity growth has been revised down. Can Labour capitalise on the economy's sluggish growth? And surely the Shadow Chancellor should know his figures. I know the figure, but I haven't got it in front of me. I'll send it. You tell me now. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Mr Paul War. Hello, Paul. Hello. Rachel Wearmouth. How are you, Rachel? Hello. And Kate Forrester. How are you, Kate? Good, thanks. Good. Everyone's feeling very good after this marathon budget coverage we've undertaken. Yes, Philip Hammond delivered his autumn budget this week against a backdrop of sluggish economic growth and Brexit uncertainty. But even so, Spreadsheet Phil managed to find an extra £25 billion to spray around as he walked the tightrope of fiscal prudence. The headline announcement was the axing of stamp duty for first-time buyers on homes up to £300,000. However, the Office for Budget Responsibility claimed this will actually force up house prices by 0.3%. Here's Hammond trying to shoot that down. What the OBR did was a very specific piece of modelling. They looked at what would happen if you cut stamp duty for first-time buyers and did nothing else. Uh, And the answer is you would get a very small 0.3% increase in house prices. But that isn't what's happening. We've uh, announced a big package uh, on the housing market. So it's just a big picture here. We know about this. Going into this budget, it was, is this going to be a radical budget? Is it going to be a safety first budget? Is it going to be a sensible budget? What kind of budget was this, Mr. Paul Wall? It was a pre-election budget in a post-election scenario. Well, it's not the election coming, is it? No, but that was what was really weird about it. Normally, <laughs> after after you've you've in inverted commas won an election, normally you do something quite bold, something quite tough. You raise taxes. Uh, for example, in two thousand and three, after Tony Blair won his sort of second landslide, um, within a sort of year or so, Labour was jacking up national insurance to pay for the NHS. Big tax rise. Um, George Osborne, 2010, big VAT rise. Chancellors normally get the tough stuff out of the way at the beginning of a parliament because that's the best chance they've got to do anything without worrying about the voters. This time, there's no majority, so you've got to feel sorry for Philip Hammond. He can't do anything big because he hasn't got the numbers to do it. But more importantly, he actually needs to sort of buy off people, and that's why you got the Brexit money, that's why you got various things for various consumer groups, that's why you got a nod at housing, bit of the NHS. So bits of money here and there. It felt like if you got 20 it's quite a lot of money 25 billion in one budget it did feel like a pre-election budget but it's pre-brexit budget that's the most important thing about this and it was trying to sort of reassure people before brexit it very much felt like a budget of the here and the now even though there was some stuff that looks forward there was a lot of reviews into things like land banking and that kind of stuff and there was money for things in the future but it didn't it felt like a budget that was 
very much for November the 22nd, 2017, because he was under pressure, wasn't he, to try and, and appease some people in the party who wanted him to do things like really tackle universal credit and lots of money on housing, other people who wanted him to say, no, we must keep this kind of fiscal tightrope, let's keep the straight jacket on spending. What did you make of it, Kate? Were you surprised by anything in it? Um, I asked my dad on my way in um, oh, for yeah. his hot takes because he's an accountant. Oh. Um, and I said, have you got any hot takes on the budget? And he went, nah, boring. So uh, <laughs> that, that's, The, the Chancellor will take that, though. He'll oh, take yeah. that, won't he? Yeah. I mean, that's the point. I talked to a sort of um, Tory official earlier this week and they said, look, if the reaction to this budget is one big, is that it? will be delighted. Yeah. Uh, and that's the point. You know, things are so bad. You've got a series of, let's not forget, cabinet resignations in recent weeks. Just steadying the Tory ship was half the battle. And the, the bigger battle, obviously, is making sure that that ship goes through, to extend this metaphor, these rocky waters towards Brexit. So, you know, I mean, on those very limited terms, he's achieved it. He got through the budget. It's him and uh, Theresa May want to get through to the end of the year. They want to get through to 2019. I'm not sure it's going to be that easy getting through after the new year. Can I, can I say something controversial? Probably. Do. I thought he made some quite good jokes. Don't actually. ruin the joke. We're coming to the jokes later on. Oh, but you're right. Okay, I agree okay, with you. Okay, we're coming okay. to that later I love the good go calm, joke. Calm, calm yourself, okay. Kate. I don't want to sound like John Burke. Like, calm yourself. <laughs> the statesman <laughs> demeanour of Rachel Wilmoth. Who I turn to now, Rachel. Normally, we're used to budgets, Tory budgets in particular, unravelling on day two, pasty tax, omni shambles, all that kind of stuff. It felt like the unravelling happened within minutes because of the IFS, sorry, the um, OBR stuff on house pricing. So by having the unravelling within minutes, it's kind of... It's kind of done now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but I guess if you think about it as if his one big challenge going into the budget was housing, um, he got kind of a fail on that pretty much straight away. Um, and if they're looking to kind of convince younger voters, I don't think they've really done that yeah. either. The rail card story went really badly for them. And if you're thinking about um, that cohort that they have to really convince who might swing towards the Tories, so like gener- Generation X, older millennials, there was nothing really in it for them. They've kind of... And worse too, still, they've got... Too old for a rail card and, and yeah. um, too young for the housing booms. So. And they've got a, wage, <laughs> a massive wages squeeze, which everyone's really, and really worried about. And they've got to work longer about. as well, it's said. Work longer, more well. hours, and the, the wages squeeze. And which brings us back to the point, the big picture of this budget, which is, is it a political budget? Yes, it was. Finally, delivered a political budget. So he kept his party happy, kept some voters happy. But it makes me think, you know, when you normally have that axis of prime minister and chancellor, you normally... The best governments, let's be honest, are governments where one or other of them is really political and the other one just gets on with it. Now, some of the, you might say, paradoxically, one of the one of the smoothest sort of relationships between number 10 and number 11 was during Gordon Brown's reign when Alistair Darling really wasn't political, he just got on with it. The, I think the difficulty here is that you've got two people at the top, Theresa May and Philip Hammond, both of whom are robots, both of whom don't speak fluent human. And if, if, if neither of them do, then the government feels slightly adrift. It feels as though it doesn't have a proper direction. And that's why a few Tory MPs privately are saying, look, the real problem isn't just isn't Philip Hammond on his own. It's the fact that both of them aren't really good at selling what we want. And they just want them to get through this period and then they can look at two new replacements. 
Uh, just sort of to say, if you can hear any kind of buzzing or banging in the background of this podcast, because Britain is building, we've got some builders in, I think they're building next door, and they're, they're doing some, something very loud, so just bear with us on that one. But it still adds a nice bit of atmosphere. I was about to tell Brexit, because £3 billion was put aside for Brexit, and I was talking to a Brexiteer last night in Strangers Bar, who was absolutely over the moon. You might have had a few drinks. He was over the moon saying, this is it, we've got a plan B. We can go to Michelle Barnier and say, look, we've got £3 billion set aside for no deal, and we've got the £20 billion we were going to give you, we'll keep that and we'll spend that on no deal as well. This is brilliant. They couldn't believe their luck. And I was speaking to Brexiteers today and they absolutely loved it. So Hammond, is Hammond now, is Hammond now the Brexiteers' best friend, Rachel? Because I hated him before. Um, well, hasn't Boris always been a fan of Philip Hammond's? Doesn't he rec- re- refer to him as the Grey Lord? <laughs> 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 Which I thought was quite um, But yeah, he, is, he does seem to be keeping the Brexiteers very happy um, with this. Um, I kind of wondered, part of me wondered, is this, was the budget kind of like any kind of rallying call to Tory Remainers as well. Um, I mean, why would they use the 350 million figure? It just seemed like... Especially because in the document it was rounded down to 235. So you rounded it up, didn't you, for the speech yeah. that, that came out. But then, and it, it seemed to make quite a meal of the growth. And I do think that that 3 billion figure, in a strange way, it might be Hammond being clever. He, he suspects he'll never have to use it. He mm. doesn't think budget prep needs any budget prep. Uh, if we fall out, it's a disaster. Brexit prep rather than uh, Sorry, Brexit prep. Yeah. prep. Um, and so that he may, in due course, have just basically put aside three billion that he can then reuse for other things. He could claim if, it back then, can't yeah, he? Later if, on, he if, can if say Brexit got, does all right, yeah. he'll say, well, there's your Brexit bonus. Yeah, so yeah. he wins both ways, you know, fiscally and politically. Universal credit, okay, going into this, this was something which we wanted to see a lot of changes. Were well, these changes enough? It's gone down to five weeks now, the waiting period effectively, the repayment for any advance over 12 months. I mean, someone said to me that any budget, Heidi Allen has said she liked it, and any budget that can unite Heidi Allen and Jacob Rees-Mogg is seen to be a very, very good budget. So this was, was this good enough? Uh, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. Um, and obviously that in itself has cost a fair chunk of money. Um, but I don't think it's going to make, campaigners would say, it doesn't make that much of a difference to people who are really struggling. Um, I mean, David Gork has said that people can apply for advances and they won't have to wait for advances now. They can get them straight away in their bank account. But um, a key issue from some um, particularly mental health charity campaigners is that job centre staff aren't asking the right questions in order for people to get the advances. Um, so, for example, people with mental health issues might not say you know, I'm going to be in real trouble if I don't get this money in the next couple of weeks. And because job centre staff, DWP staff are so under the cosh, and obviously they're going to be under huge amounts more pressure now as this is rolled out across the country, um, regardless of people being able to get advances, they might not be being asked the, the proper questions in order for them to, to actually get the ball rolling on that. So whether it makes a huge difference, I don't know. Do you not? Th- I just wonder what you guys think about whether this budget actually has been quite tinnied because actually you've given a, a rail rail card as we said to, to young people. All that's done is remind people that rail travel is quite expensive. You've abolished stamp duty for first time buyers. We just reminded a load of people they're never going to get to the position <laughs> to buy a house and experience this, this stamp duty discount. So again, you're reminding them how expensive house prices are. So actually, all this budget has done surely. It's just f- reminds people who didn't vote Tory why they didn't vote Tory. Or Further, am I being harsh? You could argue that. I mean, I think on the universal credit point, the devil is always in the detail. And as, as Corbyn pointed out the other week, you know, there are landlords who are sending out eviction notices. So this is a very immediate, direct problem for a lot of people. And, that, and a lot of those people aren't even aware of what universal credit is. And then, boy, they're going to wake up this Christmas with a real shock, which brings us on to the sort of implementation. One of the problems with yesterday's budget was it didn't fast track 
any of the promises it was making. So we learn only today from David Gork that actually this change in six weeks to five won't kick in until February. Now, that means that a lot of people running up to Christmas, the massive PR problem of people being on the breadline over Christmas. Let's just see whether or not that kicks off over Christmas. But also, uh, David Gork announced it won't be until April till the housing benefit change kicks in. Now, it's a really important announcement. People will be able to claim two weeks extra housing benefit to tide them over during this waiting period. But if that's not happening till April then you just wonder, wow, what is the PR strategy going on here? Exactly like you said, not political enough then from the Chancellor. There was also a lot of storing up problems for later, I felt. I mean, Simon Stevens asked for four billion extra for the NHS and he got 2.8 billion, which they've kind of... Um, a lot of NS- NHS chiefs have come out now and said, you know, this means that we're going to have to have a conversation about what people can and can't expect from the NHS, which is never... It's not um, a conversation Never a winner want, with voters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there was also very little in there for councils, and we've heard recently that there's even a lot of Conservative councillors who are worried about cutbacks to children's services. So that's another problem that's going to... Um, the kind of silence there is kind of deafening. Well, it's always a difficult job to respond to the budget straight away, but Corbyn got the angriest I've ever seen him in the chamber when a Tory suggested he should be in care. Let's have a listen to this clip. Over six billion... Over six billion will have been cut from social care budgets by next March. I hope the Honourable Member begins to understand what it's like to wait for social care stuck in a hospital bed or other people having to give up their work to care for them. The uncaring, the uncaring, uncouth attitude of certain members of you can quite hear it there, but someone said, said you should be in care. We think it was a, a Tory whip. Was that was that correct? Um, we think it was Andrew Griffiths. Um, and Labour MPs have made a formal complaint to the Deputy Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle. He was furious, um, wasn't he? He was Corbyn? livid, like, not just him, because I, I was in the chamber at the time, and Ian Mearns, who was kind of sitting a couple of rows back, but on the end, so directly opposite where Andrew Griffiths was sitting, I think, he was shouting, get out! and sort of gesticulating for him to get out of the chamber, like really, really seriously. They were furious, absolutely furious. Um, Andrew Griffiths has not responded, I don't think, yet to um, to people asking him you, for... You, uh, you for rang him take. up, didn't you? I rang him up last night, and he uh, he very quickly said he was in a meeting and couldn't talk, <laughs> and I've not heard from him <laughs> since. Long so. meeting. Um, Corbyn's response, uh, it's always difficult, isn't it, to respond to the budget. It's, not, it's one of the worst things of being in the yep. opposition because you don't get to see it in advance. You hear yep. it and everyone else sees it. Um, but he, he was quick to pick up on the fact that social care did not get mentioned at all in the budget. And that was what prompted that kind of outcry. Um, yeah. Was there anything else he did particularly well or badly Kate, when you watched him? Um, I think he very he pretty much stuck to his prepared script. Um which was basically uh, not enough is being delivered on housing, not enough is being delivered on homelessness. Um, people's wages have been revised down, growth has been revised down. Um, basically, that they've not done anything essentially to help those who need it now. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's really difficult to respond to the budget, isn't it, as we all know. It's a, but it's a measure of how much Corbyn's improved, obviously. You know, a year ago, you know, there wouldn't have been these stories where it's accepted as fact that actually he did a, a decent job. You know, he got the key soundbite on the 10 o'clock news, which is his only job if you're leader of opposition. And his key soundbite was him being really angry on behalf of all those people whose wages are squeezed and, you know, social care is still struggling and NHS staff, public sector workers. He got that across. So... In terms of his core vote, boy, did he build on it, and maybe some floating voters as well. 
the big problem, I think, and I was talking to a Labour MP privately earlier this week, is this whole issue of why is Labour still not further ahead in the polls? And why is it still way behind the Tories in terms of economic credibility? Well, funny you say that. Let's have a little listen to John McDonnell, quizzed by Andrew Neil yesterday uh, in their budget programme, talking about how much the UK pays servicing its, uh, its debt. How much do we now spend on paying the interest in our national debt? A lot, a lot. How much? Well, I'll give you the figure, and I'll send you a note on the figure. The f- uh, well, how, you don't know? Well, I know the figure, but I haven't got it in how front much? of me. I'll send it. You tell me now. Well, at the moment, it's 46, 46. billion. It was 56, and it's gone down. Uh, no, it's going up. Well, no, it's gone down previously, but now it's going No, up again. I assure you it's going up, well, it's, and it will go over down 50 pre- billion. Well, me, if you didn't know the figure, then you don't know whether it's gone up or down. I can remember the, tr- I can remember the trend. And, and he repeated the thing again this morning. He was doing the news rounds, and he was asked that figure, and he said, oh, it's, it's for iPads and... Yeah, advisors to, to know. It's like, no, John, you want to be Chancellor, mate. You should I mean, kind of know this. That's part of the problem. I mean, yeah, there is, to be fair to them, again, it shows how much Labour have shifted the dial on this whole media narrative. Now, what often happens is that loads of people come out and support someone like John McDonnell when they hear that on the radio, and they'll say, yeah, good on you. You know, these journalists are asking you daft, trivial questions. You can't be expected to remember every statistic. The same with Diane Abbott. Um, and so you've got to say that actually what's fascinating is that the, the narrative of that has changed. A, a year ago, two years ago, it would have been John McDonnell, what an idiot, he has to rely on an iPad. Now, it, there's a substantial pe- amount of people out there who actually say, well, you know, he shouldn't be expected to remember every co- dot and comma. The difficulty is, as Chancellor, you are expected to you deliver a budget with every dot and comma. You're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to be across every bit of detail. It's not like a normal cabinet job. You know, it detail is everything. That's why you're there. So I think it's it's problematic. But to go back to the Labour MP I was talking to off the record earlier this week, they said they had a constituent who rang them the day after the general election and they did all right in the general election. But this constituent said, look, I voted for you, but can you just stop promising things you can't deliver? Because actually we can't afford it. And this MP said, look, that is a a working class Labour voter who was wavering about voting for Labour in a a Labour seat. And it goes back to this whole issue that actually Tories' economic credibility is still their strongest card. And for Labour, it's still a problem. Rachel, do you think that we played the clip there of John McDonnell being quizzed about Labour's policy of borrowing to invest. And actually, I don't remember Labour getting that much scrutiny during the election campaign over that promise. People now, because Labour are are so close to power, much closer than than we thought they would be ahead of the election, are people now looking and going, actually, there are consequences to borrowing all this money. And and actually, they are getting more scrutiny now. Yeah, I think think, um, since the election, uh, people have started to take Labour an awful lot more seriously. Um, But something in me says that John McDonald kind of didn't remember his figures twice and is he making a kind of play at being a little bit divisive i mean that's that's just the cynical side in me saying that but and, and well, he's doing it deliberately to wind up journalists so he can <laughs> well, get people against them well who likes journalists <laughs> please send us a message now if you like, it, if you like, us. You like us surely I'm desperate but um so so he could have been more serious in his response i think this was kind of his chance to set out his stall you know he's he's less popular than Corbyn and this was kind of a chance for him to to really ask people to take him seriously as well and he seems to have failed in that. Uh, as for people being taken seriously as Kate alluded to earlier on Philip Hammond cracked out the gags. He did? Uh, he, he wrote most of them on Tuesday and then Wednesday someone came in and gave him a few more. Let's have a listen now to an hilarious joke about, about Top Gear. Let's have a listen. Yeah, I know that Jeremy Clarkson doesn't like them but there are many other good reasons to pursue this technology. <laughs> 
So today we step up our support for it. Sorry, Jeremy, but definitely not the first time you've been snubbed by Hammond and May. Yeah. <laughs> it's not talking anymore, is it? It's grand day out of it's all right. it's yeah, it was, That was awful, that joke. Really. Sorry about that. But anyway, that leads us on to this week's quiz. Tenuously, I'm going to basically <laughs> ask you how many times uh, Philip Hammond said these words in the budget. Ooh. Okay. Jokes. Okay. So, how many times do you say the word Brexit in his budget speech, Kate? Uh, three. Three, Paul. Once. I'm going to um, go for it just to. It was two. So two. Good how oh. many times did he say the word technology or technological? <laughs> Uh, six. Hmm, I'm going to say four. Ten. Seven. Oh, wow. car or cars? <laughs> there was a lot of there was a lot of cars in there. Really? Fifteen cars. Oh, that's good. I like that. That, that that's. I'm going to say eleven. Five. Seven. So he Aww. said cars like you three times more than me. he said Brexit. Uh, how many times did he say the word health? I think he said help. Help. <laughs> yeah. Health. Health. Um, three times. Two. Once. Four. But then two of these are mentioning the health secretary. Uh, <laughs> so right. Fair enough. Uh, housing. Uh, nine. Oh, I like that. I'm going to go with nine. Fifteen. Fifteen. Bang! Oh, oh, yes. Uh, wow. You should get a prize. Maths. <laughs> maths. Four times. Three times. Six. Seven. Ah. And finally, love. <laughs> Zero. How many times did you say the word love? I'm going to say once. Love. Um, I don't remember him saying love. I'm going to say none as well. It was once. Yes. <laughs> One of the things I love most about this country uh. is its sense of opportunity, he said. He mentioned young people six times, pensions twice, though one of them was David Gork's job title, and the phrase fit for the future or variation of eight times so housing there got the most mentions with 15 and uh, so Brexit only twice so there we are a bit of an indication of what he was trying to go for perhaps you love a word cloud I love, I love a word cloud yeah I love to control F on the document when you're trying to find a quiz two minutes before we go into a podcast recording um, so let's uh, let's move very 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 quickly um, Theresa May is going to Brussels um, this week on Friday uh, it's not to talk about Brexit but come away else would you go there for uh, what do you think about how close are we getting to the to the deal on um, the financial deal? We've heard a lot of talk this week. I mean, sort of forty billion is going to be offered. Paul, what do you reckon? I'm going to be controversial as I've always been on this and consistent. I think they're going to get a deal. I think that it's in self-interest for both parties to sort it out by December. It, um, you know, particularly given that the Germans are now you know looking a bit more unstable in terms of their own government. So people don't want that to. to make things drag on until February or March. So I think they'll get a deal. I mean, against the odds, but I think they will. Um, didn't Fi- Was it Philip Hammond who said on Mar on Sunday that they're like on the brink or something? Mm. I think yeah. he did. That's, yeah. the, that's very much the language just being into. Yeah. And as you notice, actually, they're trying to dampen it down a little bit because I don't think they want to raise expectations too high. There's not a lot of chatter because they don't want to... They don't want to sort of scupper it. What do you think? I think um, Philip Mohammed might have bought them a little bit of time with a largely um, uncontroversial budget. Um, so I think there's a good chance that there'll be less anger at, at a big Brexit bill. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, I'd and be the Euroskeps have been very disciplined. Yesterday, they were very self-disciplined, despite this little wrinkle in the budgets that suggested actually there'd be 3.5 billion every year still paid to Europe after 2019. <laughs> yeah. They all calmed oh, down and yeah. believed the Treasury briefing that this was just purely an academic exercise. Yeah, I think Joker Rees-Mogg said it's as rare as an error in the wisdom 
was it the Wisdom Cricket? Almanac. Almanac, yeah, yeah. anyway. I mean, that must, that'll mean something to someone out there. I yeah, don't know who. it does. Oh, oh it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. nice. Uh, okay, that was our budget special. Thank you for listening. Yeah, make sure you go onto iTunes or whatever and give us five stars and review stuff. But before we go, there might have been some stuff you missed from budget this uh, you missed this week because of the budget uh, dominating headlines. And Rachel Wimrap is here to tell us, in case you missed it, what was it? Right. Um, the Education Select Committee started their um, inquiry into alternative provision this week which it's going to be a big story coming up I think um, basically they were taking a look at school exclusions um, which have been massively on the rise over the last uh, year in some areas it's something like 340% increase in the amount of exclusions um, and alternative provision is things like pupil referral units or other other settings and a lot of schools are um, excluding difficult children um, at key stage four, so just before they take their GCSEs. Um, and this is kind of, it was said that said by some of the experts who gave evidence at the committee this week that um, this has kind of been used as a safety valve um, to get schools better Ofsted results, better um, GCSE wow. results. Um, yeah, I spoke to uh, Labour MP Lucy Powell afterwards and she said it, it really is a scandal. And I spoke to um, Robert Halfen, the Tory chair of the committee, and he said um, it's really concerning and it's a perverse incentive um, that uh, children are being excluded in this way. It's a perverse incentive for schools. Have you ever excluded Paul? No. You struck me as the kind of man he might have been. Well, I was actually hauled before the headmistress in primary school for b- biting my mate's nose. What? <laughs> <laughs> Alan, Alan, if you're out there, I'm, I'm, I know. Well, I'm really still, so I'm still sorry yeah. about it. I think he was he, he was singing "Long Haired Lover of Lover of Liverpool" by um, the Osmonds, and I just lost it. And I don't know, I just <laughs> bit him on the nose. <laughs> it's the only time I've been inside the headmistress's office. How did you smell? Terrible. I think yeah. I was ten. Right. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, remind more me never of, to make you angry. Yeah. More of Paul Wears, Al, Paul Wears Alan Bennett style diaries next week. He didn't have his first olive till he was twenty-one. I'll leave you with that. Uh, it's a nice week. Thanks a lot. Bye. 